0: It's Palm Sunday, so it seems fitting that we begin by hearing how Scripture describes the events on that first Palm Sunday. If you want to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, in your Bible or Bible app, if you have that with you, turn there as we read the account Scripture gives of the events we remember on this day. This is John, chapter 12, and friends, remember, this is a word of God. And we read their beginning in verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was near Jerusalem, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. And the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees, went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And his disciples did not understand these things at first, because they didn't understand most things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Thanks be to God. Today on this Palm Sunday weekend, uh, we enter, as we've been saying, into Holy Week, the final days of the season of Lent, and all of it leading to what is truly the pinnacle of the church year, Resurrection Sunday. Easter, and so let's remember, as we enter this week, this first holy week we just read about was a week of warfare, actually. I mean, certainly in one sense, on a human level, Jesus was battling the chief priest. They wanted to kill him and Lazarus, but as scripture also makes very clear, there was also a battle taking place that first holy week in the spiritual realm really between Jesus, between God in the flesh who had come to us, and the spiritual forces of darkness. Now in this teaching series that we've been walking through called Spiritual Warfare, we've been seeing how Scripture says that we also today walk daily in this kind of battle, whether we're aware of it or not. In fact, the apostle Peter, listen to how he describes or speaks of this battle. This is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. And Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you. That he means, literally, I implore you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passion of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So the ultimate, the sobering reality that Peter claims in this verse again, which is echoed repeatedly throughout the New Testament, is that each human soul is in a battle and is in fact in danger of being lost. I mean, in this world, a war is being fought against the soul. And if the war is successful, the soul is lost. In fact, listen to how Jesus speaks of this. This is in the Gospel of Matthew. In in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26, this is what Jesus said. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So catch what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying if the soul is lost, the whole person is lost. And there's no way to kind of negotiate your soul back. To get it back. That really he's saying when this war against the soul is over at the end of our life here, it's over. Because as Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 16, there's this great gulf that exists that's fixed between heaven and hell and no one can cross from one to the other. So if in a person's lifetime, kind of the anti-soul forces win the war, the soul is lost forever. All right, that's what scripture says. So we say, okay, so if Peter, if Jesus, if God's word is right about this, this is certainly one of the great issues in the world of our day, right? I mean, it affects everybody then, if this is true, without exception. It affects everybody forever, and it affects everybody forever in an ultimately profound way. And yet, as one writer notes, Our world doesn't give any kind of serious attention to this. He writes, there's no column in our online or printed newspaper, there's no public service announcement on the radio, there's no soundbite on television, there's no values clarification course in our schools, there's no government agency or even a welfare website that counsels us how to wage war for the eternal life of our souls. We are certainly and appropriately told how to wage war against other things, against cancer, against drugs, against drunk driving, against fire and theft and cholesterol. But the world we live in gives no counsel on how to fight for the eternal life of your soul. Our modern world is massively preoccupied with the inconsequential. And so is it any wonder that Peter begins his first epistle just as he ends it by calling us sojourners and exiles in this world? So today, as we near the conclusion of this teaching series, I I want us just to remember today to focus on three realities. Let's call them three certainties that really mark this battle for our souls. Let's consider three certainties. Okay, a first one, first certainty according to Scripture is this. In this world, the authentic Christian life is a fight. Let's read it together. Would you read the phrase with me? The authentic Christian life is a fight. I mean, just listen again to the language that Scripture uses to talk about following Jesus in this world in our day. This is what Paul wrote to that young pastor named Timothy. This is in 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 118. This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may what? Wage a good warfare. You are in a warfare. Or go to the end of this epistle, and Paul says this, 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. So as we hear these words of Scripture, essentially it's saying to us, don't be fooled. I mean, I know you look around and life just seems kind of normal. It seems to us as we look around that really all there is is a material realm. Scripture says, it's not so. Are, Are you seeking to passionately follow Jesus? Then remember, you're in a fight. You are in a struggle. You are in a battle. You were last week. You will be this coming week. And so Paul would write these words, writing to the church in Corinth. This is 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and and verse 3. Paul writes, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, the weapons involved in the warfare we're part of, they're not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. In other words, let's just be clear again on this. The authentic Christian life is a fight. So one implication is then this. An authentic follower of Jesus is often known as much by their spiritual conflict as by their spiritual peace. Let me say that again. An authentic follower of Jesus is often known as much by their spiritual conflict as by their spiritual peace. What does that mean? Well, one scholar puts it this way When you cross the line into faith, not only do you find a new peace in Christ that you didn't have before, but you will find a new conflict, a new spiritual battle, a new inner fight going on that you didn't have before. Both of them, the inner peace, and the inner conflict can be inevitable signs that you are truly following the way of Jesus. Now, we've read this passage often during this series, but let's look again at what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. This is Ephesians chapter six. And and Paul says this in Ephesians six, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why? Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, we hear that, and we often focus on the last few lines of those verses, understandably so. But you ever notice there, in Ephesians chapter 6, how Paul says, he uses that language, okay, put on the armor. Because, as he says, you're a soldier. So he's using soldier imagery, right? Put on the full armor of God. But then Paul says, for we do not wrestle. Now somebody might ask, okay, Paul seems like a lot of pastors that we know who just mix up their metaphors all the time. Because here he is, first he's talking about armored soldiers in battle, and then he talks about wrestling. Soldiers don't wrestle. Here's Paul again mixing up his metaphors. Why would he say, put on the full armor of God, get weighted down, and then start wrestling? Because there are certain soldiers who wrestle, and they are the desperate soldiers. They're the soldiers on the front line, where the fighting is so bad, where it's so intense, so intimate, so life-threatening, so desperate, that you're actually wrestling around on the ground against your enemy. Generals don't wrestle, right? Admirals don't wrestle. Military tacticians back at headquarters, they don't wrestle. It's the people up front in the heat of battle, the place where the battle is either won or lost, those are the soldiers who actually do wrestle. So Paul here isn't mixing metaphors. He is saying the battle we're talking about here is an extremely desperate battle. It's a close quarters battle we're involved in. Paul is saying every day, whether again, whether you are aware of it or not, you are on a battlefield. And understand, it is a battlefield for your soul. And oh, how the enemy would love to just lull us into thinking that all this talk of the spiritual realm or spiritual warfare is kind of just the hyper-spiritual, fanciful, unlearned imaginations of of those that go too far with their language. Just to have a, (laughs) there's not actually a spiritual realm. C.S. Lewis, in his classic book, The Screwtape Letters, in a book I would recommend every one of us to read if you haven't read it already. And, And that book is kind of the imagined correspondence between this old, experienced demon named Screwtape and a young demon trainee named Wormwood as Wormwood attempts to kind of misguide and tempt his human patient for whom he's responsible. So, for example, Screwtape writes this. Dear Wormwood, Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster and connoisseur of churches. This search for a suitable church makes a man a critic when God, our enemy, wants him to be a student. Ouch. <laughs> Or another letter from Scrooge Ape. Dear Wormwood, it is essential to keep the patient, the human, in ignorance of your existence. I do not think you will have much difficulty in keeping the patient in the dark. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. And be encouraged. The safest road to hell for them is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, with no sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Do not be surprised, nor ignorant friends, that the life of following Jesus is a fight. And then there's a second certainty for us. One thing for us to remember on this Palm Sunday weekend, this. The victory over our enemy is already won. That Can we read that together? The victory over our enemy is already won. Our conquest through Christ is assured. Satan and all the forces, spiritual forces of darkness, they are already defeated foes. Because of Jesus, we could say they are dead beings walking. That's who they are. And our God has promised us that the day is coming when Satan and all his forces, they will be eradicated, removed from the earth. In fact, the Apostle Paul concludes that great epistle of Romans with what is a, a really interesting benediction. This is in Romans chapter 16, verse 20. Listen to Paul's words here. And Paul writes this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I, I think that should be our greeting for a while to one another. After a service, before you head into the week, remind one another the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So have a great week. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. But let's understand this that decisive blow he's speaking of here, that decisive blow against Satan and the forces of darkness, that was struck long ago by Jesus Christ, right when he gave up his life on the cross. Friends, that's when the battle was won. In fact, understand this. Paul writes this to the Colossae church. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul describes what God did for those who trust in Jesus through Christ's death on the cross. Verse 14 of Colossians 2. The record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands, this God set aside, nailing it where? to the cross. He nailed it to the cross, and there disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame, triumphing over them in Christ. So understand, when Christ died for our sins, right then, Jesus, Jesus Satan was disarmed and defeated. At that moment, our ultimate victory over darkness was assured. And you might feel like, well, it still seems like he's active in the world. He is, but understand this. He was disarmed because the one eternally destructive weapon that the enemy had against us was stripped from his hands at the cross. And that weapon was Satan's accusation against us before God, saying that we all are guilty and should all perish along with him. But when Christ died, that accusation, praise God, was nullified so that everyone who entrusts themselves to Jesus will never perish, amen? And remember, that also means this. It also means that Satan and his forces can't make you do anything. I mean, other than what he slyly tries to convince you, oh, you need to do this, you have to do this. He can't make you do anything. I don't know if many of you remember Flip Wilson, comedian from many years ago. He did a character, a woman called Geraldine, and Geraldine's main line was? Yeah, you're right, the devil made me do it. There we go. Again and again she said that, but let's understand in this, a great line for a comedian here, but let's be clear, the devil doesn't have that kind of power anymore. He wants to influence you, oh he does, but he can't make you do anything. Why? because he's already defeated. You know, the apostle John was given a vision of the final conquest scene that will take place when Jesus Christ returns. And and he describes that scene in the book of Revelation. Near the end of Revelation, in Revelation 20, verse 10, this is what he saw. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever because the victory's been won. I don't know if many of you have seen Christopher Nolan's new movie, Dunkirk. I I don't recommend movies a lot. I would recommend that one. It, It just, it has a grandness to the cinematography, and then this just very fitting austerity to the dialogue and music because it's a true story from World War II of what is called the miracle of Dunkirk, Operation Dynamo, that took place at the end of May, right at the start of June, 1940. And when over 300,000 British and French soldiers were trapped on the beaches of Dunkirk in France as a German army closed in, and they were almost miraculously evacuated from the shores of Dunkirk and brought back to England when over 800 civilian boats of just all sizes, I mean, there were tugboats, fishing boats, pleasure boats, sailboats. Those boats were driven across the English Channel by private British citizens who made this evacuation possible. Just, it's just an amazing story. And I would imagine most of you also know what we could call the rest of that story. That took place four years later, almost to the day, when on June 6, 1944, D-Day, the Allied forces returned to France on the shores this time of Normandy. And the victories of that day and then the subsequent battles of the next six weeks, they determined the final outcome of the war in Europe. I mean, the victory at that point had been determined. The Allied forces were going to be victorious, even though the fighting continued for nearly a year. And understand, in a similar way, I mean, we continue daily in a spiritual battle, even though the final outcome has already been determined. And therefore, understand this is a conquest, this is an assured victory that you could say is already, but not yet. It's already been determined, but yet not fully realized. And, and Which means this for us daily. It means we don't always experience victories in the spiritual warfare in our daily lives. It, it means that we can feel beaten down, failing, discouraged, because in this life, until Christ returns, we still face, face this battle daily. I imagine most of you know what that feels like. In fact, just this Friday, I got an email from a close friend, and this is what he wrote. I was reading this morning about how the people of Jesus' day expected to deliver so different than when Jesus showed up and rode on a donkey into Jerusalem. They expected things to be so much different than it turned out to be. And I was humbly reminded that I often think things should work out in a certain way when I pray. But typically, it doesn't seem to happen. In fact, more often than not, it doesn't happen. You know that feeling? I think every one of us does. And I totally realize that one of the challenges of holding on to the certainty of the victory, the final conquest that we will see expressed when Jesus Christ returns, it is the challenge of resting in a future victory over the enemy and the forces of darkness, even though we battle and at times get wounded daily ourselves in this battle. So again, what do we do in this? For one, as we've said, Well, don't be surprised by evil. Expect darkness, spiritual opposition, evil in this world. Because, friends, we're in a fight. Amen? But it doesn't end there. Secondly, then, we remember we need to look towards Christ and our ultimate victory that we will experience one day. But then also this. A third certainty is this for us to hold on to. There are foretastes of Christ's victory around you daily. Can you read the phrase with me? There are foretastes of Christ's victory around you daily. There are signs, there are evidences of Christ's victory, his movement, his kingdom, expressed all around you daily. Therefore, friends, in light of this, we need to look for the foretastes of Christ's victory around you, it, simply meaning Let's pay attention to, keep your eyes open to, find hope in the presence of Jesus in our world and in your life. And remember as you do this, often it seems, Jesus shows up, he is at work in the most unexpected places. Ever notice that? I don't know if you know the name of Caritas. Uh, Caritas is actually the compassion and relief organization of the Roman Catholic Church. And, And it's focused particularly on caring for the poor and destitute in the world. And Caritas is one of, if not the largest relief agency in the world. And they go into just the worst humanitarian crises around the globe. And so think of this. Their workers, therefore, they see firsthand the most horrid, evil atrocities and genocides on this planet enacted by one people against another. Just think of Darfur, Rwanda, Syria. And Caritas is led by Cardinal Togley of the Philippines. And he is just a humble, gentle, gracious, joy-filled follower of Jesus. This past year, Jillian and I were at a gathering of church leaders where Cardinal Tagle was interviewed. And he was asked this question. So how do you, and those in your ministry, keep from becoming discouraged and hopeless in light of all the darkness and atrocities and sufferings you see firsthand day after day in your ministry. And Cardinal Tagli paused and said, I regularly remind myself and remind those who serve with us in these regions to look for the presence of Jesus. Look for the presence of his Holy Spirit wherever we are in order to sustain us. Look for the presence of Jesus. And then he shared this story as an example. He said, I was in Lebanon not long ago, and I met one of our Caritas workers there, and her work is focused on ministering in the wretched camps for Syrian refugees around Beirut and Lebanon. And she shared that she'd recently been invited to Syria, just a a devastated and, and now very dangerous country. And she was to give a seminar there about their relief work. And once she got to Syria, she had to take a taxi to where the seminars were going to take place. And as the taxi moved along, she asked the taxi driver, How much will I pay you? And the driver said, No, you're not going to pay me money. And she insisted and said, I've got my money right here. And he said, I'm not taking your money. And at this point, in Syria, it hit her. And she panicked and immediately thought, Oh no, what does he want for payment? Am I going to be raped? Am I going to be taken hostage? And and she could think no way out to get out of this. So she said, "I'm no, I'm only paying you with money. And the driver said, you don't understand. Three years ago, I was in a prison in Beirut. And one night, my head was again exploding with pain from the beatings I'd received. And no one in the prison would give me medicine. And then you passed by. And I called out to you for medicine for my pain, and you walked back to me, you went and got me medicine, and you relieved my suffering. And your face has been imprinted ever since on my heart. And I've prayed for three years that one day I might be able to thank you. And today you show up in my taxi. Jesus is right there with us in the darkest places. So in your life, Look for the presence of Jesus. And remember, he shows up. He gives glimpses of his ultimate victory in the most surprising places. So for you, as the battles, as the struggles, as the fight, as the warfare still continue, even though the the final outcome and conquest has been determined through Jesus' victory on the cross, we still, we look for hints, we look for these signs of the presence and hand of Jesus. One final picture. I don't know if you know the name of Gavin Bryars. He's a, a British composer and producer. And, and back in 1971, he was working on a documentary about the homeless and destitute on the streets of London. And, and you could imagine, his crew saw just so much despair, so much hopelessness of those on the streets. And and then they went to film at Waterloo Station. And when they arrived there, he said, they could faintly hear someone singing. So they walked towards a song and they found an old weathered homeless man sitting there in his rags, singing this unexpected tune that sounded kind of like a hymn and just had this simple repeating declaration. Jesus' blood never failed me yet. So Breyers taped this man as he sang. And, and let's listen to the hymn of this homeless one. Listen. Jesus' blood never found me yet, never found me yet. Jesus' blood never found me yet. This one thing I know. And on he sang. And Breyers said it was like Waterloo Station became this sacred place. So Breyers took the tape of this tramp, that's how he referred to him, back to the studio. He put it on a repeating loop and started playing it over the sound system. He had to leave the studio for a few moments to get a coffee. And when he returned, he said, he found the artist from around the studio had gathered quietly in the studio, some of them weeping, listening reverently to the repeating loop of this old man's testament and song. So Breyers added just this simple, kind of gradually evolving orchestral accompaniment to it. Because in his words, he wanted to respect the homeless man's nobility and faith. And the old man, he died before he could ever hear what Breyers had done with his singing. But his song remains, as just this eloquent, understated testimony of one man's hope in Jesus, even in the suffering and the battle. So let's be still for a moment and let's listen.